Coming up, Griffin Dunn joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV show. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. It's Ileana Douglas with the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. I'm here with my lovely co-host of looking very spring-like. Thank Tamara you. Bird. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. And uh, I'm so excited about today's show. Uh, we always have a little topic at the at the you know at the at the, the top beginning. of the yeah. show, mm-hmm. and today's topic is so obvious. It's like, what do you do when you're so obsessed with an actor? You just like <laughs> manifest something, and then eventually produce a movie just so he can be in it. You are kind of brilliant with um, manifesting <laughs> things, and so yeah, I want to hear the story about this. Well. When I was in school, when I was in acting school, you know, there was always certain movies that this was just the beginning of video, you know, when you'd have videotapes right. and passing them around. Right. Okay. My, my two go-to movies. Yeah. King of Comedy. Yeah. After Hours. Those right. That was, I mean, I had other ones that I loved, very obscure, you know, Sherman's March, Grey Gardens, you know. Really? Little... You watched obscure movies when you were a kid? <laughs> Shocking. So, sounds hard to believe. But, um... I had a videotape of After Hours mm-hmm. and a videotape of King of Comedy. And I just, I mean, I remember when just having like a horrible day and I just get into bed and, you know, watch After Hours. I mean, I, and then, so when I, you know, when I thought of producing movies, mm-hmm. my whole idea was like, you somehow got to put, you somehow have to recreate movies that you actually loved. Mm-hmm. And so when we did Search and Destroy, I went to see the play, which Griffin was in the play, uh, this Howard Corder play. And it didn't have a third act. It kind of f- sort of fell apart. But I was so obsessed with, with Griffin and I was, you know, uh, with Marty Scorsese at the time. So I was like, how can I make that? I was like, this would be a good idea <laughs> to recreate somehow after hours. So I got Rosanna Arquette in it. I got uh, Marty was in it. And uh, we had this w- wonderful painter named David Sally who um, who uh, directed the, the film. But um, and, and Griffin was in it. And Griffin was incredible and and he was playing a similar character to mm. you know to his character in in after hours but i i i love that movie so much and i love his performance in that movie and griffin is so much for me like a throwback actor of almost screwball comedy uh-huh you know because he's so good verbally but he's also so incredibly uh, funny, uh-huh. but when it came time to working with him, right. I must say, like I, I just, I, la- I mean, I laughed. I couldn't wait to get to the set every single day. Yeah, I just, uh, but I have to say, he's probably one of the funniest people that I've ever uh, worked with, and of course, one of the nicest people. But like, I got to the point where like I couldn't, I could not do scenes with him because I was so giddy. You know? Right. What was it like the first time you met him? 
Do you he remember was, that? He was like, I remember him being like, oh, hi. I, you know, like, like as if I had known him, as if I, he knew that I'd watched his movies 300 times and that right. he was in the, in the DNA. And uh-huh. I knew other movies that he produced. Uh-huh. I knew he produced uh, with his partner, Amy Robinson. So I knew, chill, I was a huge fan of Chilly Scenes of Winter. Um, but when I lock into someone, and you know, some of the people, John Hurd, I like, you know, I would, I just lock into them. And it's like my my I think it's this Italian thing because it's like my mother would would lock into someone on a soap opera and like Kevin Bacon or something. And so even though they become famous, my mother's like, oh, I discovered him. (laughs) (laughs) I knew Meg Ryan when she was on Guiding Light. I discovered her. Oh, that's funny. And so that's how I always I guess I felt that way about Griffin Dunn. Like he just was. You know, so uber, uber funny and talented. So you weren't flustered at all when you met him, or because you, because you were, no, we I were couldn't wait out, to impress him and we make were, him laugh. Yeah, we and, were talking out in the hall about how you uh, have a whole uh, history with him that he he had no idea about because it all happened before you met. Yes, but I, you know, but you know his strengths by watching him, and you know how funny he is. I mean, the hardest thing is again not to just quote back to them lines right oh my you know from from after hours but it was you know i just i just delighted every day in in working with him because it was the whole reason i wanted to get into show business was just if you could somehow work with people that you saw in the in a movie and you're somehow you're like i'm now i'm in the movie with the person well, it doesn't get better, you know, than this. But it be- and because it was such a low budget movie, and and you know there was a lot of hands on, just kind of you know funny things that that happened. Hopefully that he'll talk about. Like we shot a scene famously in an, in an, in a private uh, airport where they told us that the planes were never going to take off, and of course they took off <laughs> and landed the entire scene. Oh, and you don't great. have money. We had no money to go back. It was like no. It's just how it has to be. It's just one day of shooting, so we had to somehow, you know, kind of make it uh, make it work. But no, I um, uh, and I, you know, I sort of lost touch with him a little bit because he lives in New York and I live out here. But just seeing him again, I have just such incredible respect for him. We late many years later, we were in a movie together, which I don't remember the name of, some independent film. He played a doctor in it so we got to work together again but uh i just find him so uh accessible as an as an actor and then his life just as the people he is sure. related to sure. and, and his father and his you know dominic dunn is just so incredible and his relatives mm-hmm. my god joan didion mm-hmm. and uh he grew up you know his childhood is so interesting um He's just a fascinating person on so many, uh, you know, so many levels. Well, let's find out more from him, he himself, shall we? Guess we should. As opposed to me fangirling him up, but but I'll ask him. I'll ask him. I'll say, watch him say, like, yeah, you came on way too strong. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to talk about Griffin Dunn. Drum roll, please. Griffin Dunn is an actor, a director, a producer. 
with a career that spans four decades. Look at this and how young and youthful you you are. You've appeared in the films American Werewolf in London, After Hours, of course. Who is that girl? Dallas Buyers Club and numerous television shows. Nominated for an Academy Award, I remember, the mm-hmm. for your short film, Duke of Groove. Please welcome Griffin Dunn. Before I ask you our famous first question, since I spent the whole intro talking about you. Yeah, I missed it. I said, Tamara said, did you have a shared history? And I said, well, it was one-sided because I knew everything about him because I saw After Hours like 18,000 times. And when I met Marty, Martin Scorsese, for a film, show some respect, <laughs> all I did was talk about After Hours, which, you know, he's like, have you, have you seen other did films? You see I other did. Ones? Yeah. My, my favorite, I, all I would talk about was King of Comedy and After Hours, and he would get that like, yeah, what about yeah. Raging Bull and Main Street? So I was like... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I was like After Hours was the you know I said that's my those are my go to films because I I carried little videotape and so every time I would watch him and then I think while we were doing the movie I think I was also want, I was watching you at night and then I'd come in to to the thing well, but, I didn't know about that but when we met did I seem <laughs> did it, was I nice or was I like I am now like fawning all over you yeah what was your impression what was, of what was your impression I think you were really funny. You were like oh, like screwball comedy funny. That's what I said about you. That's exactly what she said about you. <laughs> See, we had the we had the correct. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of rat tat tat, as I remember. You know, all we did was laugh. Yeah. I was in the hard part. I said the hard part for me in doing the movie was I did get to the point. I'm doing it now. I can. I couldn't look at you. You just made me laugh. I don't know why that is. <laughs> It was just like I guess it was like good chemistry or something. It I don't certainly know. Was. It or certainly was. Or the low was. budget. That, you know, as dark as that movie Search oh. and Destroy was, uh, it was hilarious. Oh, I mean, you know, the thing that uh, Martin, my character, yes, this rabbit hole that I went down and 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 then brought you along. Yeah. Or you brought me along. I can't remember uh, the plot details, but uh, you know, it was. It, and then one. Incredible actor after another. It yeah. was like it was, it was like, like working movie. with the most famous guest stars in the world. Yeah, yeah. The whole the whole movie was like that. Christopher Walken. Were you there when we went to meet him up in his apartment? No. Yeah, that was interesting. It was like the whole. I was like, oh my yeah. god, making movies seems so easy. I, well, yeah. <laughs> and it was, he wanted a painting. <laughs> that's what I. And that's what well, I got a painting too. I still have it. It's over my bed. The David Sally, the director. I got nothing. It was Ethan Hawke and yeah. uh, Ethan, John Turturro. Yeah. And uh, I, I said at the top because <coughs> this whole book is about basically how do you manifest stuff from your bedroom <laughs> into a career? And I said, Surgeon Destroy represents for me just like uh, if I only get to make one movie, I'm just going to put every actor. You it know, really Turturro was. It was a and, cavalcade. Oh my God! I just. And Ethan, it was, and all we did, Dennis Hopper, it was like my life flashing before my eyes every, every day on the set. So, and uh, yeah, people, and then the only people that understood the movie were was one, Alan Rene. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That was the great surprise is that we went to the Deauville Film Festival. We were like in, because I remember, I'm skipping around, but I remember going to Sundance and being like, mm, I don't think they quite get Yeah, no, that was a quiet. Room. <laughs> I don't think they get this <laughs> movie. But then, like, we got invited to Deauville. Yeah. 
And I got a, I, oh my God, Ellen Renee, love the movie. I didn't know that part. I remember the festival very, very well. I became, I became friends with one. I met Valerie Kapritsky. You mm-hmm. remember from Breathless? Yes. yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then also, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name because we're being recorded, but uh, you know who wrote Saving Private Ryan? Um, who did Great re- screenwriter. He's won the Academy Award many times. He directed and wrote the movie about chess. Um, now I'm blanking on his name. little thing. We'll IMDb that. So yeah. he and I went to, um, before he wrote Private Ryan, like mm-hmm. a year or so before, we went to the beaches of Normandy and spent all day going from nor- nor- um, to Om- Omaha Beach and all up and down. It was extraordinary. And it always tickled me that his next picture was Saving Private Ryan when he wasn't thinking about yeah. writing it at that time. But we Robert both- Rodat? Pardon? Robert Rodat? No. Uh, Screenplay on, on, uh, of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, uh, uh, Steve. Not Steve Zalian. Thank you. Oh, he Steve Zalian. He may have worked. Yeah, he may have. What a great oh, yeah. writer he was. Yeah. Steve, is, is Steve Zalian? Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, okay. Okay. Now we're going to skip back. Now it gets serious. Um, do, do you remember <laughs> the first movie you saw and who took you to see it? Yes, I do. Um, my mother took me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was five years old, uh, and it was called A Visit to a Small Planet, a Jerry Lewis movie. Yes! Ah. I mean, one of his lesser-known movies. Yes! And Gore Vidal play! It was? Yes! It's, it's so mis- oh, So I didn't yeah. understand the pedigree at the time. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> what I remember is... Jerry Lewis in the in the uh, 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 the capsule of a of a, a, a rocket ship or something, yeah. taking a pack of cigarettes <laughs> and lighting the entire pack and smoking the pack <laughs> and all the smoke going on. I thought it was the funniest thing I ever saw in my whole life. I, I I I don't remember ever laughing that hard in my whole life. I was just I think I fell off the chair. <laughs> uh, and that was uh, that was my first movie. Did it? Uh, did you ever meet Jerry Lewis? I did. Oh, what was that like? Um, he was really grumpy and uh, oh, well. very much kind of out of vogue and yeah. uh, not very nice. Oh, um, but but it wasn't like a, yeah. um You know, I was uh, I was a not one of his favorite guy. films, and it, I guess not. I I I, I know. That I know you interviewed him. Well, I, many times, and when I did a show on Turner Classic Movies called Second Looks, it was about giving movies a second look, and that was one of the movies I wanted to show, and it was extremely hard to uh, get. You know, the licensing is all messed mm-hmm. up. But anyway, I asked Mr. Can Lewis I tell you that. what I wish was my favorite? What? Uh, my, my first movie? Sure. Because uh, it happened a few years later. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, and when every time you go to the airport, mm-hmm. we would pass these these burning this this structure of of, of uh, acres of uh, these burned out buildings, and my mother would say, "That's Atlanta. That's the burning of Atlanta. That's when they." They filmed it. And, mm-hmm. You know, when Selznick invited all of his friends to see the burning of Atlanta and uh-huh. all the movie stars showed up and they set up this, they, they set this enormous five-acre lot on fire. And they left it up, even all through my childhood. <laughs> and, uh, and so one day, um, it was a school day. I was like in the first grade. She goes, you remember that movie I was telling you about? She goes, that was my favorite. She'd always say, every time we passed, she goes, that's my favorite movie of all time. And, <clears throat> you know, they weren't, 
doing reissues in movie theaters right. at that time. But they did. It was like the first time they were going to show Gone mm-hmm. with the Wind since it came out. And it was, uh, I was getting ready to go to school in first grade, and she said, you feel like going to school today? I went, no, what do you got? <laughs> Never. And she goes, Gone with the Wind. Do you remember me telling you about that movie? I went, yeah. She goes, it's, it's playing in Culver City. Uh, they have a brand new print. Do you want to go to that? Go see, go see that movie with me? See Mom's favorite movie instead of going to school? I said, no, I really want to go to school. <laughs> um, and and uh, it was just, it's one of my favorite movie memories, uh, you know, yeah. sitting there. And, and I watched my mother as much as I watched the movie. Wow. Because she just cried and then just would get so emotionally involved in it. And, and you know, she was... She was a little girl when she saw the movie, yeah. you know, in the, in the, in the first release. So, I don't know, it was just a, I wanted to uh, throw that out. No, it's true. To, well, those, all those, to me, like seeing a movie on a big screen like that, yeah, you know, where it really feels like it's real, you know. And so, I always feel like there's some, I don't know, some something that gets in your, in your DNA from these first images that, that sort of pop into your... Um, pop into your head. So I wanted to talk a little bit because you grew up in Beverly Hills. I've driven by your street that mm-hmm. you lived. You lived on this amazing street, and then your dad had that wonderful book, the photo book mm-hmm. with like all the great. I mean, you lived again in what I know about you or imagine about you. It's like that's the kind of childhood I would have wanted. Like, did you go to the Malibu Colony and you're hanging out with Tuesday Well and Ronnie McDowell? And, yeah, um, I, mean, uh, I mean, we had a house and. Roddy's house was down the street and Jane Fonda's was there, you know, on the other side of us. And, you know, the colony was, um, it was just a bunch of shacks. It was really funky, you know. And, uh, you know, Roddy would take all of his his movies. And, you know, I've been seeing a lot of them. When I made this documentary, I used a lot of Roddy's footage in the documentary. So there's, you know, there's my mom and this, you know, mohair sweater and Jane Fonda in a bikini and... Everybody having such a good time, and my brother and I running along the beach with our dogs. And yeah, um, I wish though. I mean, I was too young to really know who, you know. Although Barbarella had come out, so I knew who Jane Fonda was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but you know, there was Billy Wilder. There was like um, the, the the people that came to our house. Yeah, um, were uh, you know the greatest. Film directors and actors, and mm-hmm. from a from a, and it was a very particular time in Hollywood history because I blame Dennis Hopper for this. You know, uh, um, uh, Easy Rider was about to come out, and right. their worlds were going to never yeah. be the same. Yes, and they were already. You know, David Selznick was at uh, at our house a lot, and he was very much on the decline. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, all of these great giants of the '40s and '50s were sensing their extinction. Right. Um, they weren't sad sacks about it. Everybody was drinking and having a good time and smoking and yeah. staying up all night and going to the studio the next day. But, um, but <clears throat> you know, I was too young to sort of appreciate. Yeah. That. And I, you know, I'd love to have a time machine and just corner all these people, you know, and, you know, speak to Weiler and all these people who made all my favorite movies, you know, George Stevens, and they were all there. Oh, my God. George I wish Stevens. I knew. 
Yeah, yeah pick up on that. Because, I, I mean, a, a little bit of that taste, again, I don't know if you're too young, but it's sort of like their idea of experimental was the loved one, the movie The Loved One and, like, oh, right. Lord, Lord right. Love a Duck. That's right, that's right. That, that. Inside Daisy Clover. Mm-hmm. Like, they just were not, they were just like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. that's what it always seems so weird to me that he, Dennis Hopper's making Easy Rider at the same time these other movies don't make waves is another kind of weird yeah that's right that and um the bedford incident yeah and i'm New fascinated and, by that period of but you know what's interesting films. about uh um dennis is he straddled both worlds yes he was you know working with henry hathaway who was yeah. a dinosaur yeah and you know dennis was legendarily difficult and yeah. you know it was really the father-son you know rebelling against the father relationship he gave hathaway a really hard time and so, but he worked with George Stevens, and he worked, you know. Yeah. And so he kind of took all the all of what he learned from the masters and made it his own mm-hmm. uh, to to make his own picture, and and totally reinvented the the, the future of what movies were going to be. Completely. And did you have any sense when you were? Did you want to be an actor that in around this period or? Uh, you know, as I became a teenager, I, I, I uh, definitely did not want to be an actor, and mm-hmm. I was in the Hollywood is phony, and uh, I hate show business, and mm-hmm. I did want to go to New York, mm-hmm. but I thought I'd go to New York to be like a journalist, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, my aunt and uncle were journalists, and I found that much more, much cooler. Yeah. And, you know, they're writing about Manson and the Watts riots and, you know, all the things that were, you know, going on in the world. Um, but then, you know... I got talked into doing Zoo Story in high school, um, and I was a goner. <laughs> no more journalism for me. Although New York stayed, and I and I went to New York, you know, when I was eighteen, and that was it. Now, Zoo Story is a complicated little uh, piece. There, did you? Uh, I mean, I remember they handed it to you in school, and you're like, I have no idea. I know what he this was Jerry about. was an insane character. <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, that just. Just but, rock but that my was world. It. That was it. That was it. And do you remember when? Like, what were? I mean, because then you, later you're doing American Werewolf. But like, are, did you start out doing theater? Or? I started out uh, doing uh, doing theater. Not mm-hmm. not a whole lot. It took me a long time to get a job. Um, uh-huh. I was uh, and still am, but got an under control dyslexic. <laughs> I don't know what you thought I was going to say. I thought you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had g- gonorrhea. And uh, so it was very... Uh, <laughs> um, That's what I was thinking. <laughs> no, okay. I, I suffered I just, from dyslexia. Our whole, and, just side note, remember our scheduling thing was hilarious between the three of us and emails oh, and the I'm dates totally, and the times. Oh, and, my God. There's I, a perfect right? example. It was brilliant. Oh, my God. I, I was I'm supposed hard, to get I'm, the <laughs> I mean, I and am, kept doing it. I know. I kept doing it. Up until this week. I can't week, tell you how many times great. I checked my phone to I make know, sure too. I me had too. the right time and the right day. Me too. And then, of course, my <laughs> iPhone switches over to I'm yeah. Eastern Standard Time, and uh-huh. the whole time changed. And I went, wait, we're at 5.15? Yeah. <laughs> and I almost called, and I went, I can't bring myself to call. No. I can't. That is I'm, so interesting. <laughs> Just as a sidebar, because I have the same thing, and I don't know what it is. And what's so interesting is that it is the one whatever malady that people look at you, and they go, are you 
What are you, are you stupid? Yeah. Because yeah. if you seem like you're an intelligent, presentable person who's managed to have a career or whatever, they're like, how do you not know the number? Or or you can't, I can't give change yeah. sometimes, like a panic. The only word of comfort I ever got about it was that you can't be stupid and be dyslexic. Apparently, only smart people get dyslexia. Oh. Really? Uh, I don't know that's true, but I'm sticking with L- absolutely it. Absolutely stick mm-hmm. to it, for sure. <laughs> I do it all the time. I'm like, I was... We're not going to get into my personal. <laughs> anyway, right yes. now. you had you had dyslexia, and so so anyway, yes. I uh, so I, I I mostly worked in a lot of restaurants, and I was an usher at Radio City Music Hall. Oh, and- I love this! Yeah, how did you get to be a ray? I was in my crack research. Uh, 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 I'll tell you, I read an obituary <laughs> of the oldest. You're like Dick last- Cavett. I was I was a ghoul, <laughs> and I remember coming across this uh, obituary in the Times. Of the last and old, the first usher, uh, and he died at like, his name was Roddy, mm-hmm. and he died, and I read his obituary, and I needed a job, and I said, I'm going to go get Roddy's job, and I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and That's I got great. his locker, and he left his shoes. This is like a Twilight were, Zone now. Well, it was, I, I, I and, and so oh, I wore uh, Roddy's shoe, I'm a nine, he's a twelve. And I wore his shoes, and uh, hysterical. And it was a, it was a, it was a really cool gig. Yeah, the outfit and everything. I didn't get. That's like you got to be. Oh, you got to earn your stripes. <laughs> I had a paper cadet hat and a, a Velcro oh zip-up thing, and I was the popcorn concessionaire. Love it. So I would. Uh, my job was to replenish the popcorn machine. I'd have to go down to the. <sighs> Uh, you know, you know, underneath Radio Rockefeller Center, uh, yes, you know, just just streets, underground city yep. that can go. Um, I remember Saturday Night Live was just starting up, so mm-hmm. I'd walk down there, go up in the elevator, eight H. I'd watch them rehearse. I'd go and sh- watch them shoot the nightly news, um, and uh, you know, it was like an incredible thing. And then I'd feed the camels the popcorn during the nativity scene. Camels <laughs> love popcorn. <laughs> They don't need water afterwards. They're fine. Who knew? And uh, so it was, it was a good gig. But I, I, getting an acting job was more elusive. Okay, before we get off, the, how did you did you get to hang out with the Rockettes? Or were they off limits? Well, I would have been right back there with, like, the, the girls. In, in fact, sure. we all had to use, we used the same entrance. So I did see them. Now... When you get up close to a rocket, <laughs> yeah. it's not a good look. Really? Well, yeah, they've got like there's eight abortions in, <laughs> and they've lived a hard life. They have. Yeah, and, and but, but once in, they start kicking, they kick. By the way, they kick eight times a day. I know. <laughs> they're in incredible shape, but they're actually once you get up close, they're like in their fifties. They are. Well, in this time, oh, you know, okay. they were like you know they were union rockets. They're not yeah, gonna. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they're they're younger and they got to figure it out now. But yeah, but these uh, but but one would be like uh, kind of my Mrs. Robinson. They never got that far, but but it would be like, hey, hey kid, you know, it was a thing. And and we went to a um, after work. She invited me with the other Rockettes. We went to a place called the Purple Onion that was yes. a transvestite bar. I remember. I mean, I don't remember. I've heard about it. And uh, and I, we went and we watched all these transvestites and you do cabaret shows and stuff like that. And we got roaring drunk. And 
Love it. And I got the hell out of there before it got too serious. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds... Okay, I'm going to take a left turn. Go, go left. How did you meet Amy Robinson, who became your producing partner? Yes. Um, who was in Mean Streets as yep, an actress. Yes, she was. She was Teresa. And, and so when... I, I met her through a, a journalist named Jesse Kornbluth, and he's he wrote for the New York Times Magazine, and he was you know uh, uh, you know very kind of serious journalist, and but a funny mutual great friend of ours, mm-hmm. and uh, so I asked her on a date, and you know we went out first, mm-hmm. but I remember she lived on um, on. Uh, What's that street? Uh, but but in Soho, mm-hmm. when Soho was just a little community, yeah. and it was an uh, uh, Italian neighborhood. And so when I would pick her up and we'd walk through the streets, all the Italian kids would go, yo, Teresa! <laughs> Teresa! And she'd go, oh, I know, I know. And, you know, she's um, um, she's not Italian. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but she'd just done that movie. and Not just done it. It, yeah. it had already been out. So... We went out first, and then Mark Metcalf was m- uh, my best friend, and mm-hmm. I brought him into the mix. And um, and we decided uh, none of us were working a whole lot, so we did a, a, a sort of workshop production of Cowboy Mouth, mm-hmm. the Sam Shepard play that we were going to do. Mark directed, mm-hmm. Amy and I. And uh, and it's sort of, we had a real creative thing going on. And we said, let's, um, Amy loved Ann Beatty, mm-hmm. who was at that time just doing short stories in The New Yorker. And we read her first novel. And uh, we decided we were going to option it. And and it was that kind of wonderful period in your life where you don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. So everything is possible. We didn't right. know what to be scared of. And we, uh, a, uh, Mark used the money he was paid for he played Niedermeyer in Animal House so he actually got a job <laughs> and but he used that money so we could option the book mm-hmm. from Ann Beatty. we had to get her permission and she was teaching at Harvard and the three of us went and wooed her and she said it was like three of her characters walked into her living room Aww. and so uh, you know we went we made that movie and, and I up to that point hadn't really gotten any acting work but mm-hmm. I gave myself a really small part yeah. John McClensilver directed it. She wrote the script. And uh, she agreed to let me play this part. And Mark was in it. Amy was cut out. <laughs> Sorry, Amy. And and this little part got a huge laugh. And it, it really was like a little standout mm-hmm. moment. And uh, Wilfred Leach was casting Wally Shawn's Marie and Bruce. And he cast me. He wanted me to play Bruce, mm-hmm. of which I was... 20 years too young. <laughs> uh, Bob Balaban eventually did that part. But um, Joe Papp went, what, what are you talking about, Wilford? I mean, this is a kid. You can't play this part. He goes, I know, I know, I know. But he's, he's so good. And I can do Wally's plays really well, particularly that one. Yeah. So anyway, I, I got a, a, it was a smaller part in it. And it just, that's one thing led to another. And then I started to get work and be able to afford taxis and uh did you i asked our uh john heard about working with gloria graham what was your do you remember your experience working with her yeah very well um yeah i've been thinking about her a lot i haven't seen the movie yet oh it's it's a great film i hear it's, I hear it's wonderful it's really great you know it was um she she would talk about anything um uh, 
but the past. Mm-hmm. She, if you asked her about Bogey, she would go, she'd shut you right down. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't talk about It's a Wonderful Life, but she would talk about uh, how much she loved John. You know, they had a little thing during uh, the movie. Yes. And uh, and she, uh, we were all in the same, we were at the Shangri-La Hotel while we were shooting. Um, and uh, uh, Gloria and John were on the same floor and they were just a few doors down. And I remember coming in at like, 3.30 in the morning, I'm in the hallway, and Gloria is on her way out. I go, oh, where are you going? She goes, oh, John needs cigarettes. I'm just going to go buy him some cigarettes. Like, You're going to get 3.30. You're going to go, oh, he just needs it. So she was, like, incredibly maternal and yeah. loved him so much. And they had a really sweet relationship. And and John, you know, what he wasn't really known for, but uh, for being, you know, a sweet and tender fellow with the ladies. Yeah. Um, he was with her. Yeah. They really, they really adored each other. Aw. Uh, I'm going to get to John Hurt in, in After Hours, too, because there's yeah. a story that he told on the podcast. Now you oh, cool. Because you sort of helped get him in the movie. Yeah. But we're going to get to that. I know. <laughs> I love how you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the other thing I want you to tell you, I'm going to run out of time. But in Chili Seeds of Winter, you did tell me this funny story because you ran out of money and you couldn't pay any the crew. I, I, will you tell that story? Um, well, that was that's happened twice. <laughs> okay, which, uh, uh, which movie? The well, well, Chili Scenes of Winter was um, when we were doing. As I said, we didn't know what we were doing, uh, and so when it came time to like on the budget for for the catering company, yeah, we went with the cheapest possible catering company because we were kids. We didn't give a shit about food. We thought everybody felt that way, and that's the one area you do not mess with, right? So we got these terrible caterers who made like Salisbury steaks, and, you know, and, and, and just terrible, uh, <laughs> awful canned beans and stuff. And then we didn't even have a tent. We, they would, we would have them eat on the bus mm-hmm. This um, that had like little trays. And uh, on the third day of shooting, they all stood up and walked off the set, <laughs> the entire crew. <laughs> And I was like trembling. I, and I was so ashamed. <laughs> and uh, so we fixed that problem. Yeah. Um, but when we were doing Baby It's You, um, yeah, they did stop paying. Uh, and there was like two weeks where nobody had gotten their checks. And I was scared to leave my office. Uh-huh. You know? And uh, love it. But they finally, you know, money finally. Uh, Baby, it's you, which is directed uh, John Sales yeah. with Rosanna Cat and uh, Vinny Spano. Why can't you get? Why isn't that movie in circulation? I tried to actually show a print of that. Uh, yet another movie I tried to show in second looks. Is, yeah. is, is this is this bogged down somewhere? Yeah, it is. It, and it's darn it. it. Uh, well, I'll tell you. It's just we nobody had the <sighs> foresight uh, of how you know this media works. Will will would evolve. Um, uh, John Sayles had always heard Bruce Springsteen's songs all the way through it. And when he gave the script to Michael Ballhouse, who mm-hmm. was then to eventually work with Marty, as you yep. know, um, he gave it with a, a, a Walkman and the Bruce songs. And so Michael read the script and listened to Bruce. Mm-hmm. So Bruce was like a real integral part of how we saw the movie. And so... Bruce got the script. He said, okay. He knew we didn't have much money. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much gave us 
the the rights, and I think we had to pay. But 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 we did only had the rights for the movie, not for video, right? Which was going to consume all our lives, and uh, you know all the other rights that were to follow. So I think it's been just a rights oh. issue. Um, and because of the Bruce songs, yeah, and the whole movie is cut to the Bruce songs. Yeah, so so uh, you know you need one, with, you can't have one without the other. So I I, I think that's it's a great it, film, and we've tried. I remember we tried to have Paramount, who picked up the film, mm. try to um, fix this problem, mm. and and it was unsurmountable. I, I forget the details, but um, it's like hell's a popping. Hell's a popping. You, you know, know you know if the, it's unreleasable. It's another movie. It's caught up in rights. Is that a Jerry Lewis movie? Hell's about no. He always wanted to do. Re- it's the Ritz Brothers. Oh, oh, okay. I don't yeah. know. It's just yeah, like they're... a weird, you know, some crazy movie. Okay, let's get to American. How did you get cast in uh, American Werewolf in London, John Landis? I went to where they were having the what I thought would be auditions, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting like all the other actors and in a waiting room. And I go in, I meet John. I know he did uh, Animal House, yeah. which I had read for, which he didn't remember, and for the Tommy Hulse part. And uh, Oh, you would have been good in that part. I would have been great. Anyway. Correction. <laughs> 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 so, and I was so delusional. I really came out of that audition thinking, I nailed it. I'm going to do this Of course. Movie. So it was a great irony when Mark ended up actually being in the movie. Yeah. So... Uh, I went and I uh, talked to John. We must have talked for about 15 minutes. I don't remember about what. Mm-hmm. And uh, I keep waiting for him to give me sides or something to read. He goes, okay, well, good meeting you. I went, well, okay, well, that went down the toilet. Okay. <laughs> and I stood up and he goes, oh, I got one question for you. Are you uh, claustrophobic? And I went, I, I figure the answer, right answer is no. Yeah. And so I said, no. He goes, okay, just checking, just checking. And when I got back to my apartment, the phone was ringing, and it was John. And he goes, I'm sending over a security guy with the script, and he's going to stand outside your door, and I want you to read it right away and then call me back. So this big guy is standing in my hallway. (laughs) He hands me this script, and I'm supposed to hand it back to him. And it was, you know, Werewolf, and it was this great part. And... uh, uh, he said, well, do you want to do it? And I swear to God, 15 minutes in a room, no audition. He'd never seen anything I'd done. I never understood that to this day. And uh, uh, he said, okay, uh, you want to? I said, yeah, I definitely, definitely want to do it. And he goes, okay, well, somebody will call your agent or whatever. They go, and we're about to hang out. My By the way, what I, I thought this was going to be about elevators or something, this movie. <laughs> Uh, why did you ask if I was claustrophobic? He goes, you're not claustrophobic, are you? And I went, no, I'm not. He goes, okay, well, you'll find out. And what he meant was, suddenly I'm on a plane to Los Angeles, and they're putting, you know, plaster. And I'm, I'm entombed in plaster. Yeah. With my life depending on these little straws <laughs> going to my nose that I had to stay in this thing for, you know, felt like hours, but it was yeah. probably only, you know, half an hour or something. So that was... That yeah. was the reasoning there. And uh, did you like working with him as a director? No, I loved it. Yeah, I yeah mean, he, he was hilarious. His timing is impeccable. Yeah. No, it was really great. And also, it was just like, uh, it was just so irreverent. And, you know, if, if something was, he goes, oh, that was just terrible. We're going to do that again. That was, <laughs> and 
Uh, and it was great. You know, it was like I loved the way I, his energy was so infectious. And in, so you're thrown into that part. In ter- was there any shock in terms of the film acting? Any, anything you had to adjust or go through? Or did you feel very comfortable? I felt really comfortable. I don't, I, I, the, 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 the character of Jack just felt very second nature to me. I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel I had to put much flourish on it. You do, you do uh, uh, outrage, really. <laughs> you do, like, that's, I mean, there's so many things you do well. But that, that kind of, like, this outrage... And humiliation, or I don't know, yeah, I don't know what yeah, it is. That was but my thing. Is that you <laughs> nailed it? <laughs> so once that movie came out, could you like call any? Did you think, well, okay, well now I have to make a decision between being a movie star or being a producer? Yeah, I did, and and um, uh, you know, I've had, I've always had really truly terrible instincts about my own career uh-huh. i'm really good with other people's but you know when you're supposed to be really really hot what am i gonna do i'm gonna go produce a movie yeah you know that i'm not even in <laughs> um and i i didn't do that just once i did it three times yeah you know and i after hours i went oh you know what i'm not gonna do the cronenberg thing i'm gonna produce a movie for Sidney lamette that I'm not in. Yeah. You know, so it was like, I never could figure it out. you had a great life. That's what I meant. I went with the life thing. Me too. And, uh, you got good stories. Yeah, and you know, I, I, no regrets. Um, and so then how did you, did you, did you know uh, Marty before After Hours? Um, I can't think of anyone else doing that part. Yeah. I can't well, imagine did he beat anyone else Well, you know, it. when we first met, it was at, at, at Amy and Sarah's apartment. Um... I kept waiting for uh, him to tell me how great De Niro is going to be in this part because it hadn't been really laid out there. Yeah, and I said, uh, I remember, you know, I, uh, so you, you, you know, um, I, I, I kind of hope you know that I would be. Yeah, that's I kind of assumed that. <laughs> I went, oh, okay, good. Um, and he said, Yeah, I saw Werewolf. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you're the guy, right? Of course, I knew that. And um, but uh, you know, I'd met Marty. Um, before, uh, which he actually remembered, uh, when he was casting Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, mm-hmm. there was an agent named um, Kitty Hawks, Howard mm-hmm. Hawks's uh, daughter, and she was getting her hand, uh, trying her hand at being an agent, mm-hmm. and she said, "I want to send you in on um, to meet Martin Scorsese. He's this great, great director." To be the kid, and Alice doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like, I don't know, nineteen. The part is for an eleven-year-old, and I go to his office at Warner's, and he's basically like in a little bungalow. And I knock on the door, and there's no assistant or anything. Marty opens the door, and he goes, "Yeah, can I help you?" I went, uh, "Mr. Scorsese, yeah." He goes, "I'm, I'm here for the." Part of you know Luke or whatever the kid's name was. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> you're who? Kitty sent you. What? I mean, you're way too old. I mean, you're way, way. Come in, come in anyway. We'll talk. And we talked for like forty minutes, uh, for pointlessly. Yeah. And uh, I went. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah. I just I hope I work with it. and so when I when I met him met him right uh, I brought that up because yeah I remember that that was ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> so doing after hours all nights yeah how many nights forty nights or how many nights like thirty something Jesus mm-hmm. 
Uh, any, I mean, I could quote any, what, I mean, I could, there's, it's one of my go-to, you know, like some people quote, of course, the, you know, spinal tap, mm-hmm. but I always quote, nobody knows what I'm talking I could be at a party, I could get, get drunk. drunk. Tell somebody. Um, just, I don't know, just indulge me in terms of like playing the part or, or the, that kind of crazy paranoia. I just love the idea that a guy is just, you just want to meet a nice girl and have a... Yeah. But how do you sustain that through 40 days? I mean, you got to... You gotta, well, you know, we shot it pretty much in order. We were, yeah. we were able to, and 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 uh, much like Search and Destroy, there was like a new guest crazy person, right? You know, every other week, so it would build in in um, suspense, in somewhat in continuity. Yeah. But also, if I needed to be reminded of where I was, I had the that that beige suit, that Brooks Brothers tan suit. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had twenty of them. At various points in the movie, mm-hmm. so I could actually look at the suit and go, oh, "Okay, now I know where we are." Yeah, and because it, it it had to be, you know, really calibrated. And, and you, you probably know this, but you know, Marty said, "You know, um, uh, no sex during this movie." Yes, because I I need that look. <laughs> I need that look. It's so so you know it just. It's a month out of your life. Can you do it? Can you do it? This is really important to me. Can you do it? And I went, absolutely, of course. Well, <laughs> I didn't. I, I, uh, I had a whoopsie <laughs> daisy. And um, <laughs> and sure enough. And he was really angry. Oh, but I was, I, I thought, oh, who's going to know? You know? And so sure enough, I'm there with the most, the erotically beautiful Linda Ferentino. And where. The day before, I was like, you could hear me swallowing from the sexual tension. Here I'm like, I love your, hey, these are nice. Oh, I like them. And, Mar- <laughs> and so we break for lunch, and Deborah Schindler, is the producer, Marty's assistant at the time, said, oh, Marty wants to see you in the trailer. I went, oh, and I'm totally oblivious. And uh, he goes, uh, I go, what's he going to do, fire me? You know, so I was just being an idiot. And I get to the trailer, and he's grim. And he went, you fucked somebody last night. Went, how, how, did, how did you know? He goes, everything. Your performance is out the window. It's out the window. You fucked it all up. And he was really pissed. Well, Marty. And well, luckily, he was pissed, because that got my fear right back. And I was... Yeah. I was... Focused and and uh, that's why I nicknamed Ice Comb Father Film. Yes, Father Film. <laughs> yeah, he knew what he was doing. Yes, Father Film. Mm. Uh, now and uh, the other funny story about that is, well, there's a few. I the uh, I know uh, Terry Gar. He had some issues with her performance. She had there was a wonderful scene that got cut where she said, "What did I do with my brains? What did I do with my brains today?" And she has she has like her brains literally in the refrigerator. That's right. That's right. I don't remember being cut over over, over that though. I mean, they, it took Marty a year to cut that movie. I mean, again, his level of seriousness of like he was unhappy with the way that she delivered the line or something. That you know, I, I I I feel like I've heard that, but I don't I don't remember yeah. that. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't privy to his his unhappiness. I, you know what I remember? <laughs> I, particularly there with even with Terry uh, of, of the scenes is. You know, when you're talking to somebody, you just have a little bit of peripheral vision. And in my peripheral vision, whenever I'd be doing it, there'd be this, like, black figure 
shaking. And if I looked over, it was Marty. Yeah. His hand over his nose. <laughs> shaking, trying not to laugh and be heard on the track. Uh-huh. And it was just the greatest thing in the world to see. You know, and I always love that peripheral bouncing in the corner of my eye. Yeah. He's a good uh, member any great direction. You know, wonderful thing he did on Goodfellas was I tried to horrifyingly bad acting, but I was very nervous. It, like there was this long shot, and and uh, it was going to end with this me talking, and the camera's going to move on all these other people. And I, like an idiot, decided I would button the scene with like a little joke. You know, like if he catches me, you know, with anyone, you know, he'll kill me. Like Eve Arden, you know. And then I, <laughs> and as soon as I did it, I knew it was just like horrible. And Mar, and I remember Marty saying, "Oh, sorry, technical difficulties, technical." And then he came over and whispered in my ear. He goes, "Don't do that again." <laughs> Oh, wow. And I remember him being extremely, again, gentle in mm. terms of he's not like, I mean, like sometimes directors are like, what is she doing? You yeah. know, like he's. The best direction I ever saw was not uh, toward me, was um, to Rosanna when mm-hmm. she's in the in the diner and she's telling the Surrender Dorothy story. Yeah. And it's a monologue and it goes on for about a page. And so she does it like the first take and there's an air of tragedy about it. And uh, Marty comes up to her, and I, I, I just overheard this. And he goes, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think you'd laugh during this, though. She goes, I wasn't laughing. He goes, oh, okay, well, d- don't laugh. This is, I, this is not, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't see she's laughing. She goes, but, but, but I wasn't laughing. She wasn't. <laughs> but I wasn't laughing. He goes, yeah, okay, just don't. Well, there was a virus right, that right. went in her head, and yeah. she could not get through the damn thing without <laughs> cracking up. And I, you know, I don't know how conscious his direction was about if I tell her not to, she will. Right. I don't think it was even that simple. I think yeah. it was just something he was saying. Whatever you're doing, don't do that. Do something else. Yeah. And 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 it set her on edge, and she got nervous, and right. it tapped into you know. Marcy's, you know, insecurity of a girl who, you know, an hour later is going to kill herself. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Um. And 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 talk a little bit about because John Heard was uh, uh like almost wasn't going to be in the movie. He had to. He he again. Mar- Marty worried about him being. Yeah. Just like you couldn't have sex. He wasn't supposed to drink. He was certainly not supposed to drink. He was supposed. You know, Mar- uh, John had a uh, not a very good reputation. You know. Um, had burned. You know, a lot of bridges. He had some pretty self-destructive behavior, mostly involving alcohol. And uh, and Marty was aware of that, uh, and he probably wouldn't have thought of him at all for this, except that Amy and I love John. Yeah. And uh, and we just saw him in this part. It was just so clear. Oh yeah. And and uh, so we just kind of kept pushing. He goes, I don't, I, I, you know, I keep hearing, I don't know. So we said to John, I think Marty will give you the job, but he's worried about your reputation. And we told him just like everything, and and John was horrified. And so when he met with Marty, he was like, I, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. And he was all yeah. the way, all the way through. And it was an incredible, um, it was a side of John I'd never seen before. It was, it was just like, uh, he was just so open. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, he, would, he, he was the kind of actor before who would like uh, have a set idea. And he, he, he needed conflict in order to do mm-hmm. his job. 
and he didn't do any that wasn't his method on this mm -hmm. you know it was um uh you know he just would listen he took direction he would be you know he was in peak condition mm -hmm. and then uh okay so then we can we can either talk about uh who's that girl which i saw on opening day i went to see it opening oh, wow. day at the zigfield that's right yeah I, know. I went to the premiere. I'm not, I'm not lying. I, I'm <laughs> of my own history, but or or once around or producing. So there you go again. You go you. So you went and did the yeah. classic. You did the. I know. Or produce Lasse Hallstrom's Once Around, which once is an incredible movie. Yeah. How many movies have been cult classics? No. If I'm in one more of those, the Critically. best movies you never saw books. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I really don't want to be in that club anymore. You, but but it was like every time, you know, these... I uh, love Once Around. That I, is I did, amazing. too. That I, 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 Malia scotch Marmot script, made it universal. Um, Great cast. You know, um, I'd seen My Life as a Dog, and I saw it at the quad, and I could not stop crying. My mother was sick most of, most of my life. And it just hit such a hard nerve in me. So I walked out. I called up Amy. And I said, I, I have the director. It's got to be this guy. And I went right back in the theater and I saw it again. And so we spent the rest of our time looking for a loss of Holstrom. He hadn't mm -hmm. done an American movie yet. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, we got the phone number of some cabin he has in an archipelago off Sweden. And, you know, we're tracking it. We cannot... <laughs> find him <laughs> and I'm at my office I had an office at, at, at MGM at the time and the door was open and it was a water fountain outside my door and I hear someone say oh Mr. Hallstrom um, my life as a dog was just such a wonderful movie and I went and I said from my dad are you lost a Hallstrom <laughs> he goes yes I went please come in here <laughs> and uh, we gave him the script, and off we went. Ah, uh, he's an incredible director. Oh, he's a terrific director and a terrific person. Too. Yes, very, very sweet. I got to work with his wife. Oh, and she's also great. She's uh, uh, Lena, Lena Olin. Um, so then, uh, then after that, then you're doing. Um, do you worked with the Paul Mazursky in the Pickle? Another like. Why? Oh I, I went to see that too. So, I, I think we're in. I think me and um, uh, uh, Isabella Rossellini and Little Richard. Yeah, it's we're a... all in black tights, <laughs> dancing in front of the plaza uh, at the fountain. I think it was the weirdest movie <laughs> ever. And I like now that was I, at the premiere. I went up to Paul Mazursky, and he was not in a good mood. No, no, no. He knew it was. A, I, they knew it was a disaster. But they I um, liked it though. But you know how they how they when you shoot in a uh, at a hotel or in front of a hotel that all the dressing rooms they get hotel rooms yes so they had hotel rooms at the plaza so I had my own hotel room and I didn't leave the hotel I stayed in the hotel after we finished shooting for about four or five days nobody noticed <laughs> <laughs> I just ordered room service I loved I lived at the plaza that is great you were Eloise at the I was Eloise just. Stiff in the pickle. <laughs> okay, and then we do. We, we talked a lot about Search and Destroy, but um, so you're going to be in Search and Destroy, which is basically uh, After Hours. 2. Of which I'd done the play. 2.0. We and I saw you do the play. Yeah. Uh, and I came home and I said, Marty, 
will you fulfill my fantasy? (laughs) 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 And and do a movie with Griffin Dunn, Um, which he obliged. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we had a a blast uh, shooting it. It was sort of low budget, a great experience. Do you remember the time where they did not have enough money? They only had had a gun for one day. (laughs) Do you remember this story? Was it the gun that... that, that Christopher Walken is... And they only used... They they were trying to save money. And were we in the marshlands, the meadowlands or something, surrounded by big reeds in in New Jersey somewhere? Yes. And they only (laughs) used the gun for his side and then they figured when they were on going to turn around they would not need the gun yeah so they'd save a hundred dollars and so we're on set and i would just remember chris going okay where's the gun and then a lot of nervous oh, looks that's right and yeah. then him saying what am i supposed to threaten them with my finger and then it was like the you know they went and found a, a gun a yeah. few hours yeah, later he had that look on his face like i'm gonna lose my shit yeah um, they, they found a thank gun. God, and then I beat him to death with a flashlight. Yes. So, which luckily they had paid for. <laughs> they had, luckily, they had. That. They paid for the flashlight. Did you ever have any? Uh, we, one, my favorite scene in the movie is with you and Dennis Hopper, and he goes, "She slept with my woman." You know that that the interrogate, which is it's a lot of words. But first of all, transferring from the play to the film, any any. Uh, I mean, it was so different. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it, it was a very different script. And yeah. Howard Corder. Um, and then Michael, it, we got Michael Almoreda. Michael Almoreda adapted. And, and you know, I, I Howard, who went on to work with Marty on Boardwalk, mm-hmm. was not a happy camper, I remember, about the yeah. adaptation. And I was in an awkward position because I was the, you know, the link. So right. Howard, when he was upset, would not take it out on Marty or on that. He'd, yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd uh, talk to me as if I could do something about it. And I kind of liked the script. So, yeah. so it was, uh, um, so, so yeah, it was, there was different, entirely new, different scenes, but, yeah. but, you know, Michael kept the character, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much yeah. the same character I did on, on the stage. Did you ha- ever have any conversations with Dennis about acting or, you know? Um... Uh, well, you know, we, we, not so much about acting, you know, he, um, he knew my parents. He was also at, mm-hmm. at our house as a mm-hmm. young actor. And, um, and he was also, at a, uh, you know, was there when also he was, you know, there was a Walter Hopps and the beginning of the LA art scene and, mm-hmm. um, and so he would, uh, you know, he really liked my mother. He called her Lenny. He'd always ask about Lenny. Aww. And uh, so we kind of like uh, mostly. He mostly just talked about the old days, mm-hmm. you know, of, of like when he was a, a a young actor, yeah, which I couldn't get enough of. Oh. Now finally old enough to, at this point, to you know appreciate what I was listening to. Yeah, that's what I I thought he was like a mystic. I mean, I you know I he talked about James Dean. And- yeah, I know what I loved about Dennis was. He, unlike Lori Graham, he would tell you stuff. Yeah, he'd tell you what you wanted to know. Yeah, you know? and you know, we—I uh, always wanted to know about you know um, when he was in Peru and they were all doing blow and working around with handguns, and you know what what was that movie like? What, <laughs> and he just would go, I don't know, I was so fucking nuts. I was so crazy. I, I I really barely remember it. You know. Oh man, no, he was great. I you know. I learned a lot. Just he was just so calm, you know. That was yeah. like his. The just like it never felt like he was acting. And, no, never. And in, in, in any any way, just 
just a cool experience. Okay, then after that, then you went started moving into directing. Mm-hmm. I remember you on the set being a little, because I felt this way too. You know, you feel frustrated and not in control and, again, wanting to do your own thing. So then after that, that was when you did your, your first short film. Uh, yeah, and, and I'd been thinking of it. And, I, you know, again, going back to Marty, I would think of the way Marty directed and, like, the energy, and I felt that felt really familiar to me. Yeah. You know, like... He made it seem like it was very possible. Yes, to, yeah, accessible. So. Yeah, it's you accessible. You love movies, and if you love movies and you have enthusiasm. A- a- absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. And so I uh, had been thinking about that. And, you know, I'd, at this point, you know, produced movies with some pretty big directors and learned a lot as well. And, um, and so I wanted to direct. And then um, I was doing a, a, a truly terrible uh, movie so, uh, a year or so later uh, of where I was very unhappy. I was playing either a Martian or a droid. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> I wasn't sure. But while I would go back to my hotel room and I had this idea for for a movie and based on when I was um, um, when I was a kid, like eleven or twelve. My mm-hmm. um, uh, Oh, you know what? That's that's. Um, Is that your phone? I, I set I set an alarm. Oh. Um, to, that I didn't know I'd be oh. here. So I'm I sorry. thought it was it's, hearing bells. Yeah, you know, we'll hear it all the way through, and it'll drive us crazy. It's oh. in the it's in the jacket. Oh, let me just get this out well, of the we way. We can look really at quick. the picture. Let me turn it off. Um, I didn't Looking know if I would still be here. And I set I set an old. <laughs> yeah, like, no, no, no. Here, sorry about that. Oh. Uh, but we get to look at pictures of you meanwhile. Yeah, good. There he good. is. I'm sure you'll figure. Nice glasses. That's a good look. Okay, it stopped. All Thank right. you. So, um, yeah. Anyway, my mom, again, on a school night, mm-hmm. she knew how much I loved Janis Joplin. And my aunt and uncle, John and Joan, uh, were giving a party for Tom Wolfe. Mm-hmm. Kool Aid Acid Test had just come out. So, um, and Joan knew how much I loved Janis. And she said to my mom, why don't you bring Griffin to the party? And I was 11 years old, <laughs> and I got some love beads, and I got a little vest to wear, and uh, and I was really worried about uh, Janice uh, finding out I came with my mother. and Because um, <laughs> you were going to show mean, up at 11 on shot, your own. You know? and, uh, <laughs> and, I, uh, and, I, and I remember walking through this party, and... Mm-hmm. Everyone just ignoring me and overhearing all these conversations and all this sort of stuff. And and, and uh, Hogan's Heroes was really big at the time. And Colonel Klimt said, come here, boy, come here, come here. And he makes me sit. And he goes, I have taken the acid. I'm taking the acid. I'm freaking out. You're the only good vibe here. You're the only thing. You're very, very warm. You're very... And I'm freaking out I'm, on, I'm so disappointed that the colonel is so weird <laughs> and I kind of pull away and I run off and he goes where are you going and he's screaming at me it wasn't the colonel it was Otto Preminger <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, but anyway I remember this evening so I wrote a short movie with Adam Brooks yeah and it, with the idea of directing it and, and Showtime it had this you know first time director from acting to directing series so. right 
So I was able to. It was able very to popular. Make it. We were on a roster. I think Fisher Stevens directed That's something, right. and I directed Peter Weller. something. And, uh, uh, and but you discovered Toby Toby McGuire. Toby, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I, I cast I cast a kid earlier before him, and one of the reasons besides his his work was he had the most beautiful hair. You know, like he just looked like a little hippie kid. Yeah. And then he came before for the like the first day of rehearsal, and he. Gotten shit faced and shaved his head. I went, What have you done? What, what did you do? And he goes, He puts on this wig and goes, Yeah, I thought you'd be upset. So, what do you think of this? And I went, That's not going to fly. So, it was like last minute, we've got to find a kid. We've got to find a kid. And then, wow. and then, then I heard about Toby. Amazing. Um, okay, I want to make sure we have enough time to talk mm. about the. Uh, well, you've been also doing, doing acting. I said I watched I, I Love Dick. Mm. For you, did you, did you enjoy you. doing that? You're such I, a I, yeah. such sexual deviant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Is that uncomfortable to do that at all? No, it was a guess. Oh, I loved God. every moment of doing that. You did, yeah, yeah. It was really, really fun. Um, you be a great chemistry with Catherine Hall. I just obviously, I, I just adored her. Yeah, yeah. We that we were like that from Hello. We, really, we get along like immediately. So you just make fun of the whole thing. Yeah, it was just like we just there was just no. No outside voice, no thought. I feel like in the old days when you had to do scenes like that, it was, I mean, you know, it was very, like, cleared set. And And now you do movies, everyone's got their phone or their... Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, is it... So you don't feel at all self-conscious? I I, I don't know what I didn't... You know, and also, you know, I haven't been asked to sign a nudity waiver in a long time. And uh, (laughs) I was rather flattered. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, just keep them coming. Well, you know, now, I signed a nudity waiver for this interview. You did, yeah. yeah I know not? you're not wearing any pants. Who <laughs> knew? Yeah, there's no pants under here. You know, I they I won't mention the show because it's not on the air anymore. But they wanted me to sign a nudity waiver to audition. <laughs> I said that seems like that's a bit. That seems like it's taking early me too. Period. Like meaning that if you auditioned and you signed it and then you backed out, I guess if you got the part or whatever, you couldn't back out. And say, eh, you know, I thought about it, and I don't want to be naked. But that's anything. so insane too, because there would be just uh, tons of auditions of naked actresses out there right. of people who didn't get the part. You know, I mean, talk about blackmailing someone. Mm-hmm. It was like blackmail productions. I, yeah, well, that's why I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable auditioning to, oh, like I that. I have you. to sign a thing saying that I would agree to be topless. Yeah, well, they're not on the mm-hmm. air anymore, are they? <laughs> no, they're not. Okay, let's talk about your Joan. Diddy and Doc, the center will not hold, which I have not seen yet. I feel terrible. But I will see it. It's on my queue, my Netflix queue. Yep. I was too busy watching The Grateful Dead, which took three days. <laughs> That's a long one. That's a long one. Yeah. But it's next up on my queue. So, I mean, Joan Didion is just, I mean, first of all, your family is incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, there never been a, a documentary about her before. Yeah. And we had, which... Uh, so she and I had made, uh, uh, or I made these short films with with her mm-hmm. to promote Blue Nights, her last book, and uh, we had a really really good time doing it. You know, jo- Joan wanted to be an actress mm-hmm. be- before she wanted to be a writer, and so she was really kind of into the, you know, the the performance of it, mm-hmm. you know, as well, and loved going, getting into the crew van and the lunches with the crew, and you know, it was really involving. And, uh, um, you know, she liked the community of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pushed my luck and I said, what about a feature-length doc? And she said, uh, 
Uh, okay. <laughs> and never mentioned it again. <laughs> and, um, meanwhile, I took it seriously and, um, you know, went about uh, trying to get the money and self-funded mm-hmm. it for a while and mm-hmm. then uh, uh, had enough to kind of put together a Kickstarter trailer. Mm-hmm. And the Kickstarter went, the trailer went viral. It was just, you know, there was such a hunger for, for, yeah. for people wanting to see this movie. Um, that you know, Netflix then got mm-hmm. involved, and and I was able to complete it. And it was, uh, you know, working with family about a family member, all all the family. You mm-hmm. know, like my, my father's in it, my mother's in it, my uncle John and Quintana. You know, it was really uh, a really gratifying mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it was kind of like going to the editing room was like kind of, you know, it was pretty much just Joan and I are left you know yeah so it was kind of like just going to the editing room and hanging out with my family every day you know and putting together this movie about you know a relative i not only love but who has written the most important fiction and nonfiction, you know in 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 our time and and honoring that mm-hmm. and, and you know trying to tell a story that balances her work and her life mm-hmm. and and how they coexist and what's going on in the country while she's writing it and was there anything that you learned that was surprising from this, or, or were you just trying to document what you already knew? Well, you know, it was always because uh, she writes so much about her own stuff and yeah. such, with such candor. Uh, I, I, I did go into it worried, like, what am I going to say that's that's new? And and I, I think what's what people, what is certainly a, a, I think a surprise for people. Nobody has actually seen Joan. You know, even when she's doing interviews, she's Joan doing interviews, talking mm. to a reporter she doesn't right. know very well, and promoting a book. And and the interviews are you know between her and I, and it's there's a um, uh, you, people see what she's actually really like, and not mm. the, the 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 queen of doom and all the things that she's, <laughs> but she's you know really funny, engaged, you know, uh, quite a chatty person, you know, for um, you know very forthcoming. Uh, and and verbally that, that that people don't don't necessarily see, and you know as you if you read you know as when she said uh, okay from that moment um, you know I read reread her work from the very first thing she wrote all the way through her career and you know just a sitting and you get a real different perspective of mm-hmm. your relative once you see all that work behind them mm-hmm. so. You know, even though I grew up knowing your Aunt Joan is, you know, thought of as, you know, representing California and nobody writes about Los Angeles and has the, has a Western, understands the Western side, I, I now cannot not see that in mm-hmm. her. I mean, I really see uh, the ancestors and the, the, the homesteaders that came out and her yeah. and her strength. And I kind of understand why, you know, she's outlived everyone. Um, you know, she's she's tough Western She's. I know we, you don't think of too many sort of literary superstars that are left, you know. Yeah, no, it's true. And she's certainly it's true. In, the, in that. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do after this? I am. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm working on a book that I. I want to make into a series that you might. You might know of. Um, if not, you're going to love this book. <laughs> uh, uh, called West of Eden. 
um, by Gene Stein. Gene did the Edie Sedgwick book with George oh, Plimpton, okay, I know and it's another oral biography. And mm-hmm. it's about the biography. It's it's an oral history of four families who created Hollywood, starting with the Dohenies, oh, wow. oh. and then the uh, Selznicks, and yes. the um, Gold, uh, um, the the Warners. Uh-huh. And it's it's. Uh, it's 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 about the creation of Los Angeles and Hollywood, and from all these different points of view. Yeah, I am fascinated. You're going to love this book. I know. I love it, all it's, of that. It's an well, the Dohenies book. have a pretty yeah. sordid mm. background, and, don't and, they? Yeah, murder and, and mayhem. Mm-hmm. And Gene's father is Dr. Jules Stein, who started Universal with Lou Wasserman. Mm-hmm. So you know she she had incredible access to. Uh, to people, I love all that. I I read sometimes early books, you know, really early books, like from you know people's bios, you know, Max Sennett and people that you know were writing stuff in the '30s, or uh, King v- uh, Vidor has a great book, you know, where they they actually got in a car and drove cross country oh, yeah. and came uh-huh. here, uh-huh. and it was it just was like the wild, you know, it was like the really was the wild west in those in those days, those early days, um, a lot of lawlessness. Um, also, I, I, I'm bearing the lead here too on on what I'm working on. Uh, you, we're at the very, very early stages, uh, but and and Marty's uh, come on as executive producer of a, a updated series of After Hours. Really? Yeah. Like a series or a movie? No, no series. It, 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 like first season, <laughs> all one night. No. Oh yeah, and like in real time, and uh, it's a. Uh, uh, it's 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 a, a really kind of great. Uh, great take, um, and it's it's updated, and then the obstacle is technology uh-huh. is keeping Paul from getting home. And technology is yeah, like if you lose your phone, uh huh, you know, or you can't get online, or you can't, you know, you're screwed, right? And and so it's it's uh it's sort of taking that odyssey, and if it goes to another season, then we'd have a different city, and you know, Paul will be a woman. Uh-huh. Paul, you know, it'll be... I wish I could go back to the 80s, though. See, that yeah. part of what I loved about it... Was, I'm going to ruin your show. But yeah, you the, uh, sorry, all sorry. Yeah. But all right, love, we're not going to do it. I love that it's the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's so 80s, you know? It is indeed. And the subway... I mean, I, I just love some of the little tropes. I just thought they were really funny. The subway's gone up and, and things like that. Why didn't you just walk home? I'm going to be like every other interviewer. Yeah, I know. Irritated uh, person. Why didn't you just walk home? So uh, ninety anyway, blocks. <laughs> I know that's a long way to walk. It's a long way to walk. And it's walk. the '80s. I could have been killed. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, well, Griffin, it's been uh, obviously a pleasure for please, me too. Please come back. Good to see you again. Uh, anytime. Yeah, thank you so much, Griffin. You can buy anytime. Ileana's book. I blame Dennis can. Hopper. Picture on of Griffin in it. Line. Is there? Is there? Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, you got to check out the book to see that. Destroy. Also, uh, what else am I saying here? Oh, yes. Like us on Facebook. Check out our website, ilianaspodcast.com. That's right. And as we always end the show, uh, everyone's life is a movie. Sometimes it's starring Griffin Dunn and Ileana Douglas. With the beginning, a middle, and an end. So anyway, thanks so much for being Thank here. You. It's just been a pleasure. Yeah, me too. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs> From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. 
I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.